Good morning, everyone. Our living hope, what a great truth. And we'll look into that a little more deeply in a few moments. I've been thinking about the Apostle Peter and the fact that for nearly 30 years he was marinating on the truths that he had encountered as he lived with Jesus and as he went through the experiences of of uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection himself, an eyewitness to all of that. And then to realize that he himself was a fisherman. He had no um, formal education. In fact, that's what the many said around them when, when he began to preach. Uh, he had no great library, no seminary training. He had the truths from the Old Testament scripture, but what we really recognize as we read his letters is that every word in, in, he, in his writings are, are steeped in deep theology and doctrine and, and uh, are, are amazing to us as we look at them. I'm sure you've already encountered that and we're gonna see that again this morning. It's, it's truly amazing and no question that uh, Peter was absolutely guided and taught by the Holy Spirit as was promised to him and so we have, what we have here in these letters is truly miraculous. It's truly amazing. Uh, the literature here is profoundly, profoundly uh, deep and, and uh, um, deeply theological. And, uh, and so as we, as we continue to move through, we, we learned last week that, that we are chosen by the foreknowledge of the Father. We are um, sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit and we, uh, for the obedience of Jesus Christ and sprinkled uh, by his blood that we might enjoy the grace and peace of God in abundance. And I, I trust that that's your experience and continues to be your experience as we grow in the Lord and as we move through this letter. I, I wanna begin today's section with asking, asking a philosophical question. It has to do with um, what is the most, what do you think is the most valued or essential reality in our world? Now, as we think about this moment that we're living in, um, it's, it's another one of those historic moments where uh, all the price tags and all the values are being rearranged. And in some cases, it's arbitrary. In some cases, it's obvious um, uh, as we catalog and consider what is essential. I think um, it's, it becomes apparent that the church is being largely ignored in this rearrangement of price tags of what's essential and what's, value, what's valuable. And, and that doesn't surprise us, although it grieves us. And the reason it doesn't surprise us is because for some time the church has been relegated to uh, merely the classification of a charity. And the church, of course, is a charity to be sure. But it's so much more than that. In this relegation to the idea of charity and, and non-essential at that, for, for some time we've been told to, to be quiet, to be kind, be nice, do this, don't do that, uh, be tolerant, love everybody. The church has um, become in some cases benign and banal in terms of reality and, and its value to the, to the culture. I would submit to you that in, in reflecting on this moment and some of the lessons that we're learning at this moment, that the, that the church itself and the world has lost its perspective on what is really valuable and essential. If the province of Ontario follows the guidelines of Alberta, restaurants and hair salons will open before churches before the gathering, at least, in churches. 
which confirms a certain amount of where the value of the church lies. Essential, what's considered essential is, is transient. It changes over time. Uh, sometimes it's freedom, sometimes it's money, sometimes it's happiness, sometimes it's comfort. It varies. So how do we decide what is really essential? How, how do we answer the big question that we began with this morning? What do you consider is essential? What do you consider is the most essential and valued re, uh, reality in the world? Well, we, we need to ask the question of our Lord. In, in terms of... Um, the world's perspective, it seems to be that the, the great value right now is the preserving of life or the aversion to sickness. Uh, this value of life, at least certain life, uh, the abortion industry is still moving along full blast. But uh, in, in response to the question about life, Jesus answered the question, and I quote in terms of life and its value, in Mark 8.35, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. So uh, putting all of your eggs in the basket of physical life doesn't seem to be where Jesus places his value or essential. In fact, in that same text in verses 36 and 37, uh, when it comes to switching price tags, Jesus says this, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If he were to acquire the whole world, would he give up his soul for, for all the world? Jesus, our creator, I think answers the question in terms of what is essential. And the most valuable thing in the world as far as Jesus is concerned is our very souls. What essential service does the church provide that none other can? That no charity, just a charity cannot. That social concern does not. In the text today, we're going to find out that the goal of our faith and the reason that the church is actually essential and exists is the salvation of our soul. This should be the essential of every human. Why? Because God says it is. The goal of faith is the salvation of our soul soul. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to uh, 1 Peter? I want to answer uh, the question of what is essential, but I want to show you in, this, in the text that, uh, that it is, in fact, the salvation of our souls. And what does this salvation of our soul look like? And what does it live like now? And that's what I want to look at in Peter this morning. So we're going to look at 1 Peter um, Chapter 1 and uh, verses 3, a few more verses today, uh, verses 3 uh, through um, 12. First Peter, chapter 3, verses th chapter 1, sorry, verses 3 through 12. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we just sang that in the song just before in this whole issue of Living Hope, taken right out of First Peter 3. In His great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, 
are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving, listen, the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow it was revealed to them that you were not serving that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven even angels long to look into these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, again, what powerful truth cascades out of the heart of Peter into this letter from the Holy Spirit to us. We thank you and we praise you. We thank you and we praise you this morning for your incredible mercy toward us, O God. And I pray as this truth unfolds this morning, that our hearts would truly be swelled and lifted, O oh God. In these days that we live in, in the challenges that we face, in the troubles that are existing, in the, the varied uh, trials that uh, uh, our brothers and sisters, our church family and others are going through, Lord, I pray that once again you may lift us up by the truth and that, Lord, we might live lives worthy of the call of being called into your family by the foreknowledge of God the Father and the grand work of the Holy Spirit to, to bring us alive from a deadness of our sins, that we might obey the Lord Jesus Christ and thereby demonstrate this great salvation that has come to us, the sprinkling of the blood of Christ on us, and then the enjoyment of grace and peace in abundance, oh God. I pray this blessing upon my brothers and sisters today. And I ask, Lord, that you would visit us powerfully wherever we are as we're scattered, O oh God, by the presence and the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in this holy moment together as we gather around your word and hear from your word, O oh God, this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Well, in the original text, um, these verses are actually one long run-on sentence. I love run-on sentences. And, and it seems that Peter gets on a roll here and he just keeps building and building and building the case of the excellence of our living hope. And, and so um, this morning I wanna look at, at three aspects of, um, of this reality uh, with respect to how, uh, what does the, the salvation of your soul look like? 
because it is, is laid out for us here so powerfully. And the first is this, that, that salvation provides the only real reason for joy in this troublesome world. You know, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, what this text proclaims and preaches very, very clear, clearly and very loudly to you is you have this distinct privilege of living in joy in the midst of troubling and trying times. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are of, of all people, those who know the Lord, not just people of faith, but people of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because the goal of faith is the salvation of our souls and the only place that salvation of our souls is found is in Jesus Christ. So we are the only people of faith who can, who can experience and demonstrate joy in the midst of trouble. That's what gets Peter so filled with enthusiasm here. He's living in a tough time. Nero's the emperor. It's not a good time. A, a, a very, very dictatorial time with an evil, insane emperor. And here he writes about this. Now, the average person is living in double trouble. They're in trouble with the fact that they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Therefore, they're living in the pain of that all around them. No security, no guarantees, uh, living on luck and in trouble with God. Because we know that the scriptures teach us that those outside of Christ are dead in their trespasses and sins. That means dead spiritually to God. And, and Peter says, not so of you though. And, and so he begins this launch into his letter by saying, stop and pause and praise the Lord for what he has done. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he specifically identifies God. This is not some sort of, some sort of anonymous deity, but rather a very, very particular, the one and only God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament people, when referring to the Lord, knew of only one, and that was Jehovah God. And Peter is saying the, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the, the triune God defined here for us. And, and in this definition, of course, we praise God for giving new birth to spiritually dead people. He says here, I praise God. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth or being born again. We're born again believers in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to have your soul saved. It means you are born again. Jesus Christ has made salvation within our very grasp because of what he has done for us. God the Father was willing to have mercy upon us, which means, in fact, not to treat us as we deserve. How, how do, what do we deserve? We deserved to stay dead in our trespasses and sins. But by his mercy, he does not treat us as we deserve. And then, it, of course, he is, because of what Christ has done, we are able to have new life. He causes us. Let's look at the wording here. In his great mercy, he has given us new life. The, the New American Standard translates this, translates this in a better way. He has caused us to have new birth. He has caused us to come alive. 
For, the sal- for to have the salvation of your soul, you must be born again. Jesus Christ said that. John 3.3, 3, when he was talking to Nicodemus, you must be born again. God must give you new spiritual life. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You must be brought alive, new birth by God the Father. And God specializes, of course, in bringing people, uh, bringing uh, uh, from death life. And, and that's why Peter references here the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so what, what has this meant? What, what has happened to us to be born again? Well, we've moved from dead desperation to living hope. That's the, what we have received here. Us, he has given us new birth into what? A living hope. Uh, it's a combination here, living hope. The present, uh, the, the idea of in the present, we are enjoying the benefits of our salvation, but we have this great hope, which is a future that we have before us. And he's going to elaborate on that. So how hopeful are we? We realize in the reference to um, the fact that, that Jesus was raised from the dead when he talks about the resurrection of Christ here that in fact what God has done for Christ to ensure an eternal king brought him from death to life guarantees that he will do it for us to ensure our eternal uh, to ensure that he has an eternal family and we are part of that. But the present realities that we enjoy uh, and the description here in living hope means there's way more to come. There's so much more to come. We're so excited about that. It's kind of like Christmas dinner at, at, at mom's. It's like you enjoy this great feast now and then, and then in that old saying, you know, when you're handing in your plate, keep your fork because the dessert is yet to come. And, and this great promise that we yet have, he, he, he embarks upon here when he says, and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil. So from dead desperation to living hope, and this living hope is an inheritance that is not available to just anybody. An inheritance, of course, is something that a, a father or a mother leave to their children. And so it is with our inheritance, the inheritance that we're looking forward to, the, inter- the eternal life that we're looking forward to. It's not just for anybody. It's only for those who are actually children of the living God. And you can only be a child of God if you are born again. And, th- and that re- references, of course, the salvation of our soul. And, and it says here that this inheritance that we, that we have um, uh, will never perish or spoil or fade, it's fixed, it can't be ruined, it won't depreciate, freely given to his children. Romans 8, 17, we are heirs of God, uh, co-heirs of Christ to all that God has. The, 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 the whole of the universe that is owned by our God, we become heirs to, reserved in heaven, with our very name imprinted on it so that nobody can get their hands on it. And then he says, until the, or sorry, kept in heaven for you, who, verse five, through faith are shielded by God's power. From dead desperation to living hope, an inheritance not available to just anybody, but rather to those who are saved, gripped forever in God's power to save. If you are born again, according to this text here, if you are born again, you have been placed on a salvation journey with God through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. You are literally in God's custody and care. 
as he takes you from a brand new babe, born again, to a seasoned saint somewhere along the journey. The um, journey that he begins, he promises to complete. And it begins this way, of course, that, that we are saved from sin's penalty. That's the initial salvation uh, benefit that we get through the salvation of our soul. And then we are saved from sin's power on an ongoing and daily basis by the powerful presence of God in our lives. And, and ultimately, we're saved from sin's presence forever. These things are all happening. The power of God is only at work in people of faith in Jesus Christ. But what power this is. How great it is in, the, in terms of growing us, growing us in our salvation. Now by the way, the experience of that power varies by faith. Look at who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, there's an, an interesting bridge that Peter builds here with respect to faith. Faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, but the faith that we must demonstrate in our own lives toward him in terms of trusting in him and believing in him. And, and when we come to know Christ, we are granted the fullness of the power of God. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and indwells us and, and therefore we have all of the power of God resident in us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is actually invested in us. But our ability to experience that power and the benefits of that power varies on the basis of our faith. In fact, um, faith is a little bit in terms of our lives like a dimmer switch. Your house, you have all the power coming in, but this dimmer switch determines whether you're enjoying full blast power or you've dimmed it down. And so it is with our faith. We enjoy the experience of God, the fullness of God's power to the degree to which we put our full trust and full confidence and full belief in Jesus Christ in any given situation. So that's what he's promising us here, that we experience this power and the benefits of this power. And by the way, um, those around us as well experience the benefits of the power of God in us to the degree that our faith is operative in any given situation. So, salvation provides the only real reason for joy in this troublesome world because no matter what happens, we have a living hope that has taken us from death to life, that has promised us a guaranteed inheritance that is kept for us, gripped by the power of God to save us and to save us to the uttermost. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. But here's more. Did you know that God employs trouble to enrich the salvation faith of those who truly belong to Christ. Verses six to nine. Notice this. God employs trouble to enrich the salvation faith of those who truly belong to Christ. Most of us don't want trouble to come anywhere near us. In fact, I think all of us, there's none of us that want trouble to come anywhere near us. We don't want trials. We don't want tests. We don't want trouble. But Peter wants us to understand here the great value of trouble in our lives. The great value of trials and testings that God 
actually employs. It don't, doesn't, catch us by, doesn't catch God by surprise. We're not overwhelmed or consumed by troubles and trials and tests that, that, that God is caught off guard with respect to. No, no. In fact, God chooses to employ trouble, trials, and tests as his servant to, in fact, enrich our salvation faith. There's only one group of people, by the way, that I know of in all the world whereby trouble and trials are cause for rejoicing. And I know, I know we find this hard to deal with, and I, I find it hard to deal with, but I, I, I can't. This is written here in, in, in ink. It's bold. It's, it, it comes to us from the, the living God. This is the truth. This is not um, some pep rally that God's trying to, to, to encourage us, but, but behind the scenes it isn't true. This is, this is 100% divine given truth that Peter can say, in this you greatly rejoice, not in the actual trouble, but what in the trouble is doing in your life. And that's what we're gonna look at in these next few verses. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is real, revealed. Let's unpackage this a little bit. We have the distinct privilege of considering this moment that we currently live in, regardless of how uncomfortable it is, how troubling it is, maybe how distressing it is, to result in greatly rejoicing with, inex with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's where he goes with this. We, we have an opportunity and we are expected in terms of the result of what's going on in our lives, the trouble and the trial and the test, to greatly rejoice, not just rejoice, but greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. <laughs> now, um, here's the deal. Fiery trials are necessary. It says here in the text, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer. Um, in the original it says, if necessary, or literally, since necessary. Fiery trials are necessary in the process of upgrading the carrots of your faith. Um, now, our faith in Christ, in this whole picture of dimmer switch, is being worked over by trouble and trials and testings so that we will turn up the switch of our lives full blast so that we will experience the benefits of the fullness of the power of God in our lives. Of the fullness of the character and nature of Christ in our lives. Now he uses this imagery here of gold, of precious gold, the, the, the most um, precious commodity and, and uh, compares it to, the, to our faith and the value of our faith. And he basically says there's no contest in, in terms of great value and essential. Your faith, 
The salvation of your soul is essential. And um, you may be distressed for a little while. It's necessary. And by the way, compared to a long while, he tries to, to point to the fact that that this life is really short, even if troubles and trials are, and tests are, are, are seem like a long time, and care, compared to what you have laid up for you in terms of inheritance, it's, it's nothing. And, and um, the whole idea here is that the outcomes of your frustrations are getting rid of unpraiseworthy things because the end result is that you might receive praise uh, in its... This time is getting rid of inglorious things so that you might benefit from the glory of Christ. It's getting rid of dishonorable things so that your life might reflect the honor of Christ, you see? In other words, what's happening to all of us in tests and trials is that God is upgrading the quality of our faith, taking us from 10 karat gold to 18 karat gold to 22 karat gold to 24 karat gold and there's a distinct difference in the value of that kind of gold. There's a distinct difference in the color of 10 karat gold versus 24 karat gold. You see 24 karat gold, it's yellow, yellow, yellow. It's distinct, it's, it's obvious. And so are, 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 is the faith of those who are who are experience, experiencing the growth of their faith in trials. I just want to put a pitch in here right now for, for those of you, and I just want to give a shout out to those of you who are enduring this time and sticking with it, sticking with the, your, your confidence in the Lord, trusting in God, um, staying with the disciplines of the word of God, staying in touch with God through prayer, staying in touch with your church family, uh, being involved in a, in a small group, even if it is Zoom meetings and all of that, um, connecting for the cause of growing in Christ. And I know we're getting back at DCs. I wanna put a pitch in for that for the next four weeks. Get involved. If you're not involved, this is a great time to try out a discipling community for four weeks. It's a four-week span, and let's get involved in that uh, because it's so important to utilize this time of testing and trial and trouble with our brothers and sisters to strengthen each other and encourage each other and turn each other's dial up, the dial of faith, to trust in God and to have confidence in Him right now. In fact, if you're in a DC group, Throw up thumbs up right now. Put, put thumbs up right now if you're in one of our small groups. Let's, let's encourage each other. Let's get involved. And, and if you're not, I, I just, I so urge you to do that. Let's change the color of your faith from, uh, from metallic gold to yellow, yellow gold as, as God works in your lives right now. And the outcome, that the outcome of your faith and she says in verse 9, so that you are receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls, the sec secure eternal inheritance that you have. Don't allow what you don't have to steal your joy in the glorious things you do have. Whatever's being taken away from you right now, don't let that steal the joy you have in the glorious things that Christ has laid up for you. Sovereign Lord, is um, allowing these tests, by the way, to enable us. Look at, look at, through, though you have not seen him, verse eight, you love him. It, 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 these tests, 
are, are teaching us to love Jesus more. Peter is Peter's re- recalling that I have seen the Lord. I, I was there at Calvary. I was, I was there to see the living and risen Christ. But I know you haven't been. He's, he's referring to those who are scattered and under persecution and living under the ground. He says, I know you haven't seen him, but you love him nevertheless. Demonstrating that your faith is genuine. There's no other explanation for you loving someone you haven't seen. But you love him. And these tests are, 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 are drawing you to trust in him more and rely on him more and depend on him more. He's what you have, the Lord Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you believe in him. You trust him. Trusting Jesus more. These are proofs of your salvation. That your faith is genuine and that the outcome of that faith that is genuine is the salvation of your soul. The most essential thing in human reality is that your soul would be right before God. And loving Jesus though you have not seen him, trusting him though you have not seen him. This is a serious test time for our church, for, for churches in general. Uh, as, as we've been pulled apart and not gathered together, listen, when you have a fire and you, you throw the embers out, out of the fire, it's not, not too long till those embers lose their, um, their flame and they, they can, they can uh, just simply die out. This is a very perilous time, a very risky time, a very testing time for our church. We're not gathered together. We're not, we're not stimulating one another to, to good works in the same way we have. We're not practicing the ordinances of, of the church. We, we are not together. This is a the critically dangerous time. That's why we need to hang around with each other in whatever technological way we can. Back Tim Keller put it right as I listened to him this week. Every church will need to be replanted. And that's no different with Calvary Baptist Church. Who will be here when we're, we're fin- I don't know. Who, who's, who's really a person of faith? Who's really dialing up the dimmer switch during these times? And who's just been hanging around here and really doesn't have something going with Christ? This is a serious time. A serious test time. And, and as, you, as the dimmer switch is turned up in your faith, you get to enjoy the backfill of future glory. The, the, these descriptions of being filled with inexpressible and glorious joy uh, and, and the, uh, you, are, you are now receiving the goal of your faith. You're experiencing salvation uh, of your faith. You're experiencing the, the glories of what is to come. The salvation that is not yet is being experienced already in the now because of how you are trusting in Christ, because of how your faith is growing in this difficult time. And you will be praised by Christ. That's exactly what this means. That your faith may be proven genuine and may result in praise. Praise from whom? From Jesus Christ himself. And that you will experience and are experiencing right now the glories of Christ and the honor of Christ as you, as Christ is being increasingly revealed in you so that when you meet him, you know, when we see him, we will see him as he is. And we will be moved in that direction ourselves. Uh, More and more, Christ is taking up residence in our lives and is, li- and is living out his glory in our lives and, and eclipsing our discomfort now. And then we receive the goal of our faith, the salvation of our soul. 
Um, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, this faith that we're talking about today, the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our soul. You and I are going to an awards ceremony and we are carrying off the prize. That's what this is talking about, the salvation of our soul. The greatest prize known to all of humankind is the crown of salvation. And if you by faith know Jesus Christ, you are already lined up for the awards ceremony. Rejoice in that. In the midst of your troubles and trials and stress, grab this book again and read it all over again. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you believe in him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy as you contemplate the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you, giving you living hope, bringing you from dead, deadness to life, and you are now receiving and experiencing the true salvation that you are going to receive when Christ comes back again. All of this is there for us. In this letter, um, Peter continues to confirm for us the value of our salvation. And finally, this, the, this salvation in the last three verses, 10 to 12, this salvation has historic and supernatural credentials. You know, um, I've often looked back, and I'm sure many have, I've often looked back and thought, man, wouldn't it be great to kind of live in the Old Testament times when, when there was a theocracy and, and you had a righteous king, David, ruling on the throne, so the government was, was, was righteous, writing psalms and praising God, and, and, and God was the ultimate uh, king over uh, politics, and, and, um, and uh, when beating up Philistines pleased God, you know, I, I think of those days, and maybe that says more about my temperament than, than, uh, than you want to know, but, but I think about those days, and, and here's what Peter writes. He says, no, 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 no. Those, those days are not the glory days. These days are the glory days. The church age is the glory days. We live in the most exciting era in all of redemptive history, the church age, concerning this salvation, Peter says, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come um, searched intently with greatest care. They longed to, 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 to uh, investigate these things and it was revealed that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of these things and, and angels longed to look at this you know, listen, I, I've got to say this. Do you, do you find the gospel boring? Do you find this sermon boring? I mean, I, I apologize if I'm, if I'm messing it up, but, but do you find the things of God ho-hum? I can take it or leave it. I can pop in to church once in a while and it's no big deal. I'm not really interested. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm right now I'm texting someone. I'm not very interested in all of this. Man, if you find this boring, if you find the, that you're out of touch with this, if you find this teaching that doesn't stir up your heart and doesn't, cause some shouts of hallelujah and praise the Lord and some excitement and enthusiasm, thumbs up and hearts ringing out over, over the internet, uh, you're totally out of step with, with the apostle Peter. You're totally out of step with the prophets of old. You're totally uh, out of step with the heavenly host who long to look at these truths, who long to to notice the, the, the reality and the story of God's redemptive history, who long to, to, to learn and understand about God's glorious salvation and, and our, their deepest desire is to, is to look at these things and be excited and enthusiastic about these things. 
The ancients longed to experience this era and prophesied with total precision. It says here they scoured the horizon of the future for where and when and what time and who would be Messiah. And, and, and what's, what's remarkable here in verse 11, it says they were trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. This, this, this is almost comical, but it's, it's, it's too grand to be comical. It's, they were being directed in their writings, in their prophecy, specifically by the very Christ, the very Messiah, who was going to give his life for them. The spirit of Christ, the pre-existence of the second person of the Trinity was empowering the writings of the prophets who were expressing, for instance, like Isaiah, who was prophesying the sufferings and the glories of Messiah. For Christ himself had reviewed and was reflecting upon the future of what he himself would bear for us. It's, remar it's remarkable. It's, it's actually mind-blowing to me as I read this. I was looking at this and studying this to, to understand. They, you know, they were expecting, of course, the day of the Lord and a day of di divine reckoning and all of that. But here, but, but you know that, that most of them struggled to, to accept a, a suffering Messiah. They wanted only a glorious Victorious Messiah. And here the Spirit, it says in the text, Peter says, but, but look at, read the text. Christ was telling the prophets of the very specifics of suffering and then glories. Just as it was fulfilled. None of what was happened was hidden from the prophets or their future audiences so that they should be so, so badly have missed it. This is remarkable. And that he says is now fulfilled, what, now that what has, was promised has been fulfilled, missionaries and preachers of the gospel continue to act under the influence of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Notice this in uh, verse, at the end of verse 12. I'll, I'll read all of 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. In other words, revealed to the prophets that they were really not serving themselves, that Messiah was a long way off from them but they were really serve, serving you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, like me today, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. In other words, by what, what authority am I speaking to you today? By, by what authority am I telling you of the urgency of the salvation of your soul? By what authority am I telling you that you must be born again to be a, in a relationship with Jesus Christ and God the Father and have eternal life? By what authority am I urging you to, to rejoice and have joy in troubles and tests because your God is turning up the dimmer switch of your faith? By the authority of the Holy Spirit from heaven who continues through the ages to speak through those who proclaim the truth even today. And not only the ancients long to experience this era, but in closing, look at, and even angels long to look into these things. How big a deal is this 
this very moment? How big a deal is this teaching? How big a deal is this salvation? How big a deal is this redemptive history? How big a deal is the church? When we're talking about essentials and things that are valuable and essential services in our, in our, uh, in our era, in our time, there is only one essential that the angels of glory long to look at with great desire. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the salvation of souls, the angels, the heavenly host. And it's the word, the angels long, the, the word there is present tense, continue to long. They love to learn and watch the plan of God's redemption unfold. The manifold wisdom of God who calls people into his family brings them to life through the Holy Spirit so that they might obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled by his blood so that in testing they may rejoice and that the dimmer switch of their faith might be turned up from 10 karat gold to 24 karat gold. Angels long to look at this. This is a glorious moment for angels as they look at the churches across the globe, over the internet, as they look at these messages of truth of salvation and see God bringing people to faith in himself and the salvation of their souls. God's heavenly host encamp within the mission of any church that is committed to the salvation of souls. Praise God. So our gatherings together, our services, when we come together, when we proclaim the truth, when we are on the streets sharing the good news of Jesus Christ or over the fence in our house to our neighbor, angels long to look at what God is doing. So our celebrations together should embarrass the demons and should entertain the angels with the truth of Jesus Christ. What we are doing together, brothers and sisters, what we are doing together in this great enterprise called the church is the most essential service that exists in the world today. Praise God for that. Completely essential. The salvation of human souls is the essential service of earth. And I pray today that it will occupy the essential nature of who you are. That first of all, you will see it as the essential of your own life, the salvation of your soul. The salvation of the souls of your family, of your friends, of your neighbors, of your colleagues. We are not gathering right now. And we are not circulating very much. And we are mostly doing online evangelism. This glorious work of salvation, this glorious work of faith, the salvation of souls has always been about relationships. And so I urge you to pray, brothers and sisters, that we get through this. Not that this test is not valuable and is not increasing. That's the very thing we've been teaching today. It's turning up the dimmer switch of our faith. But that God would do his work and then bring us back together that we might celebrate this glorious truth and move out to actually socializing with people that we might bring the gospel to people, the salvation of their souls. What is the goal of your faith? What is the goal of your faith? 
Father, I pray this morning. I pray for those who are listening. I pray for those who are listening right now live. I pray for those, Lord, who are going to tune in later. I pray for those who might listen through the week. I pray, Lord, that for those who you might put this in the hands of, of uh, across the globe at various times and various ways. I, I don't know what you'll do, Lord, with your truth. It's up to you. But I pray right now, Father, for the essential nature of the salvation of souls. Oh, God. I pray, oh, Father, that there would be those who would recognize that they have not been paying attention to the essentials, the true value of life. Maybe they're people of faith, but not faith that moves to salvation. The outcome of our faith, the only point to faith is the salvation of our souls. That we might be in relationship then with Jesus Christ to trust in him and believe in him. Oh, Father, I pray for the salvation of lost people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Listen, uh, viewer this morning, I wanna close with this. Is your soul right with God? Have you been born again? It's a yes or a no answer. I, I pray this morning, if it's no, um, you know, if, if, if your answer to that question is no, I would urge you this morning to ask the living God to be merciful to you and to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and change you. May the, by the, through the work of the Holy Spirit set you apart to belong to the family of God that you might experience this amazing living hope, the salvation of our souls and eternal life with God forever. I, I urge you, I urge you, what is the goal of your faith? It's the salvation of your souls. What is the essential of life? It's the salvation of your soul. If, um, if you have asked God today to be merciful to you and and to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and change you. We'd love to hear about that. Please connect with us on one of our virtual prayer rooms or give us a phone call. We'd love to call you back. We'll talk with you, pray with you, show you from God's word how you can be certain that your soul is saved, that you are born again. Nothing more important than that. That's the essential, the salvation of your soul. And Calvary family, this is our opportunity to worship the Lord uh, in our giving so uh, you know how to do that, and I pray that, uh, that uh, God will continue to provide as he does, and thank you for your rich generosity through Christ as we continue to bring the ministries of Calvary in a variety of different ways. God bless you. We love you so much. I miss you so much, and I'm glad to talk to some of you uh, when I get a chance. So God bless. See you soon. <laughs>